Welcome to Urban Booze. Uh, this is Peggy and Laura. And I uh, wanted to kind of give you some background if you don't know about us. Urban Booze is a collaboration of a 20 plus year friendship. We have always connected, talked about kids, talked about work, and then food. Food became a mainstay of our conversation. So Urban Booze is a journey of us really trying to enhance our knowledge about wine, beer, whiskey. I am a novice. I've always admired Laura's uh, knowledge of wine. So this is what Urban Booze is all about. So I hope that everyone who listens can uh, join us on this journey and learn something along the way. Urban Booze is an experience, and as we go through our experience, we're sharing with you the interesting and knowledgeable people we come across. Today, we have our guest, Damali Ritchie. She's a sommelier working out of the Maryland area. Damali, say hi. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. So we were just wondering, I mean, we, one of the things I always wonder about is how do you know what to serve? And one of the reasons I was very anxious to speak with you is you you are like my child almost in the sense that you're about the age of my oldest child. You are educated. You are a positive force out here, as I've heard about you from someone else. And I'm, how do you know? You know what we've been eating. You've been fed the same food I've been feeding my child over the years. How do you... How did you decide to become a sommelier? What made you interested in that? Um, so it's funny. I actually, a few years ago, I hated wine. Um, <laughs> I oh, didn't God. really appreciate it. I didn't understand it. Uh, and if I did have to drink it, I would stick to like the sweeter ones. Um, but then I worked in a restaurant. It was a restaurant cruise ship, and I became the beverage manager there. Uh, I had to, one of my main priorities was learning our wine list, upselling it, teaching the staff, and I realized I didn't have the knowledge to be able to pass that on to my staff, and, you know, we had a working staff, over 100 people, so, um, so that's when I became, I started exploring it more, trying to understand it, trying to taste a lot more, uh, and after studying and really opening up my mind, I fell in love with wine, uh, the science behind it, the history, um, the diversity, and all of the varietals. Uh, and so my goal was to, you know, kind of pass that on to other people that I come in contact with. Uh, and that's how I, I came to go down that sommelier path. Okay, well, were your parents supportive of this? Because that's the sort of thing, again, as a parent with a child who chooses, you know, you, you spend a lot of money on your child's education <laughs> along with feeding them. Mm-hmm. How, you know, how are you going to feed yourself? Were your parents supportive of this or were they like, listen you know, this isn't med school. (laughs) Right. Um, So, uh, well, in essence, they've always been pretty supportive of my goals and vision as long as I have a sturdy plan. Uh, But they were hesitant when I told them that I was leaving the business school, because that's originally where I was. I was in the Fox School of Business at Temple University. Uh, When I told them I was leaving that to go into hospitality, they were definitely nervous. There was a lot of questions. Um, But... Now they're genuinely interested. I mean, the hospitality industry is ever growing. Mm-hmm. It's experienced 10 years of growth and 10 consecutive years of growth. Um, it's high in demand. They're always experiencing an increase in opportunity and innovation. And so when I started sharing these things with them, um, they became more interested and more supportive of what I was doing. They saw that, you know, there was some stability in the industry, especially in wine, where 
you know, any restauranteur, anybody that goes into this industry, your knowledge of wine is important, um, especially when it connects to like food and, and sales and mm -hmm. um, guests. It, it's just it's really important and it's always an asset wherever I go so they were definitely supportive of that wow that's that's cool now what I'm going to do now because I'm a novice so you know please forgive me if I ask <laughs> crazy questions but I'm a <laughs> novice and like anybody else you gravitate toward white wine because it's the safest even in mm -hmm. you know social situations like you said you go for the sweet wines you know so what would you tell a white wine novice like myself like how to kind of grow not only figure out what white wines are and maybe what other wines I can choose to kind of like get my palate together on it but then how would you get me who you know I I, I realize I've been going toward Rieslings and Moscatos and white Zinfandels how do you get me to go into red wine I know that's a two um, that's a two point two part question yeah <laughs> well okay so I honestly think a really good way to kind of expand your palate and, and go into the red wine arena is by way of food. Mm. So, um, because uh, I recently actually had a training uh, where we tasted food and we tasted wine together. Uh, like we had, you know, steaks and chickens and stuff and you would take a piece and then you would drink the wine and you would see, and we did, we did it with wines that it matched well with, and we did it with wines that it didn't. And so you would see the difference, and people actually, it was funny because I've never, I never was a huge Pinot Noir fan, uh, but after I had Pinot, the glass of Pinot Noir, we tasted the Miami Pinot Noir, um, after I had that, it was funny that it changed the way the food tasted to me, and I was like, wow, like, I could actually see myself drinking that. When it stood alone, it wasn't as um, yeah. appealing to me, but when I drink it with something else or ate it with something else, then that's when it appealed to me more. And so I opened up more to it. So I definitely think um, blindly taking a bite of food and then sipping that wine that you're hesitant about uh, would probably make a difference. Um, as well as, you know, transitioning slowly, mm. uh, maybe starting with some lighter bodied wines, red wines, like a Pinot Noir, mm -hmm. um, and then slowly expanding into the other arenas of those harsher wines or things that have more of an acquired taste. Well, how would you know what to try? Uh, I, I randomly buy, you know, I go to Costco's, I buy my groceries, and I will randomly buy what they have just because, you know, it, whatever the price. And I did right. have that experience where I had basic Italian sausage and I had a glass of wine that made that Italian sausage, that spaghetti and sausage, taste amazing. And every sip of wine made that base, and I knew what my ragu you know, whatever mm -hmm. everything tastes like before. And it was like, wow, this is really good. But I got lucky. How would <laughs> how do I know what to look for aside from price that will tell me this will go well with, with that? Ah, yeah. uh, okay. So um so it, it is an interesting question. Uh I guess what I would do is there are some rules to pairing food and wine, some basic ones that I can share with you that'll kind of make it easier. Uh, obviously, when you're going and you're shopping for wines, um, I don't know if, you, if you're if you a reader, do you read the back of the label? Um, I do. I, yeah, so I highly suggest that. I don't. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, reading the back because the back gives you those tasting notes and stuff like that, but there are basic rules that you can follow that can kind of guide you on the right path. So, um, like, one of them would be, like, sweet complements sweet. 
Uh, so if you're going for uh, a sweeter dish, maybe going with a, a lighter, with a Moscato or a Riesling that's on the sweeter side, you can always kind of go safe with that. Um, and then also like saltiness in foods kind of enhance a bitterness uh, in tannins. So tannins is what comes off of the skin of the grape. And so usually you find a lot of high tannin in red wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're left with the skin of the grape. That's how they're made. And so when you have something, if you're making a saltier dish, you might want to stay away from um, those tannins in that wine. You might want to stay away from those heavy bodied red wines uh, because, um, yeah, so, and then, and fat loves tannins. So if you're making like a lamb chop or a steak or something like that, uh, that will go well with red. So that's when you can kind of branch off into the reds. And of course, it's going to take trial and error. Um, you are going to, you know, experience some of those wines that you won't like. Uh, but, you know, just constantly tasting and trying to stay with those those key rules. Um, you know, if you're making something spicy, uh, high, uh, heat heightens your perception of alcohol. So maybe mm-hmm. a fuller body tab will go with a spicy dish that you're making. Maybe you want to go with something lower in alcohol um, and then also a little sweeter. Like, so maybe Riesling would pair well with that. Uh, so if you, if you use those, like, basic rules, then you can kind of gauge your way through and, and through the tasting process. Wow, that's really interesting because um, last night I had some friends and family over and they made jerk pork. And, uh, well, and she seasoned my piece of pork and she told me to pour some wine over it. And I looked at her like, you know, what you talking about, Willis? You know, but then I'm like, <laughs> what wine am I going to pour over some jerk pork to cook? And then she says, yeah, you should try it and drink with it. And just, but then, you know, what I was told was, oh, put something on that you'd like to drink. Well, as I told you, I'm a novice. I, I don't know. <laughs> Plus, you, she was dealing with the, the powerful flavors of jerk, which that is every spice under the sun right. intensely. Right, right. And then there's pork, which we always thought of as the other white like meat. Me, right. But if it's, uh-huh. you know, if it's a fatty piece of pork or a marbled, a nicely marbled it's piece of pork. It's a pork shoulder, yeah. Right. So then it's like, well, then maybe red. Right. And right. and then, you know, then and why is rosé considered a summer wine? It was hot yesterday. It's definitely summertime. Would a rosé have worked? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so tell me, what should I what should I cook with this roast pork shoulder and or drink with it tonight? Um <laughs> so, uh, with this, uh, well, with the with the roast pork, you said it's not the jerk pork, right? This well, yeah, the- she seasoned it with jerk seasoning. She, she okay. um, seasoned, and told me to to put it on a grill, but to put some midway pour some wine on top of it to baste it Mm, okay um so i as far as basting if you're gonna go with a red to do that Mm. like i would probably use a a pinot a pinot noir um interesting but you know you don't want to yeah cooking wine because you don't want to use your good bottles on cooking wine (laughs) okay oh yeah yeah, there's definitely other wines that are more specific for cooking purposes. Um, but I would definitely maybe a Pinot Noir. But when you're drinking, when you're actually going to eat it, yeah, uh, I would suggest that it's something because it's jerk, it's spicy, right. um, it's heating up your mouth. So like I said, you want to go with something maybe a little sweeter that can tone down the heat. Okay. Um, so I would definitely like, I think a Pinot Noir would, if you're going to stick with the red, um, mm-hmm. Pinot Noir is always pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Um but I would definitely, like, I would probably suggest, like, a Riesling with that. Um, because a Riesling, I, I do like it's going to lower the, the heat. It's going to be a little sweet, so it can complement it. 
Um, and it's pretty safe with the, the pork because, you know, it's like the other white meat, like you said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then one other thing, Damalia, I realized because I had a wine tasting uh, last week at my house and there were some people who are staunch red and then there's the rest of us who are white. <laughs> how do, do they become so diametrically opposed i mean it was really really interesting because there was one there was a full body one that, that was soaked in what did he say, she say tabasco no uh, tobacco tobacco, tobacco. There, there were a lot of hits of tobacco we, we were trying she would ask us what what flavors do you taste and mm-hmm. it was like i'm tasting wood it's a hard wood she said oh that's tobacco i was like all right why would i and I, I thought mean, I tasted clove in right. the same drink. And and but but and, and it was kind of why would I pick that to buy and what would I pair it with if I was served it? it, it but it was something that she was serving. But we had we ate chocolate with it, didn't we? We had chocolate, right. Right. She she had asked me to have certain things available. So I had like smoked gouda, chocolate, cheddar, I had all types of cheeses and prosciutto. Um, and she, so she had us tasting and drinking with five different bottles of, of wine. I think three red and two red and three white. And three white, right. Um, and it was interesting that when we bit the chocolate, I did not taste that, that, uh, that tobacco, t- tobacco anymore. at all. Exactly. Suddenly it became, oh, this is interesting. But when I first tasted it, I was like, ill mm, yuck. Right. <laughs> it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's to me. So why do people? And then I noticed that there was at least two people at the party who just bought the red. Now a lot of us were like, "Oh, I don't like this red," but they loved it. I could mm-hmm. buy the sales, you know, from them. I'm like, "Oh wow, okay." And they didn't right. buy any white. So why do people? Is it because they have a more expanded palate, the red wine lovers? Um, you know, I I think that. Um I think that a lot of people stray away from red wine because uh, they don't understand it. Like you said, like with the, the tobacco flavors, just it's, it's kind of unheard of when you're talking about drinks, right? Right. All of these different flavors and, and textures and everything like that. Um, and so also, I also think they don't take enough time to appreciate it. Um, red wines can be more of an acquired taste due to like a lot of the bitterness that comes with the tannins that, it, that mm-hmm. it's made with. Um, and I was the same way at one point, uh, but it, it really, truly does. Like when I tell you like tasting it with foods and stuff, it, it changes your perception, but also just tasting in general and actually taking that time to, you know, smell it and smell the different aromas and then taste it and taste it a couple of times. You know, the first time you taste it, yeah, it's going to be bitter to you, but if you continue to taste it, your palate will open up. Um, mm. you may begin to appreciate it. Uh, you know, it, it it's just like anything. Even I'm, I mean, who naturally likes the taste of alcohol? You know, like yeah. whiskey, bourbon. No one naturally likes that. When they first taste it, their their instant reaction is to reject it. Uh, but when you keep drinking it, you know, you you start getting used to it more. Um, and then now you have now for someone who hated the taste of whiskey and how it burned their throat, now they have a favorite. You know, so. Right. I think it really is just consistently trying it and and being open to it um, and, you know, just experiencing it in general. Well, well, you mentioned something else just about, you know, tasting it. What is the right way to taste a wine when the sommelier pours it for you at a restaurant? Um, So you want to start off, one, I mean, people, the, the first step in the tasting method is sight and evaluating the sight of your wine. However, like the average person, you're not 
into it like that, where you're going to look at the color and, you know, all this stuff. The only thing that I will say is when you are looking at your wine, um, the color of the wine can indicate age. And so uh, white wine, typically, um, they get darker with age, and then red wines get lighter with age. And so if you're ordering a bottle, if you're going to spend all that money and you're going to order a a vintage, then that's something that can help you detect that you've got the wrong bottle, right? Um, But other than that, right, so so it can detect, you can see, like, the age of that. Um, But more importantly... Uh, you want to start with swirling the wine. Uh, swirling helps introduce oxygen. Um, and once wine encounters oxygen, it opens up and releases stronger aromas. So that's why you see people swirl their wine before they drink it. Okay. Um, there is a, a unique and scientifically proved relationship in aroma and taste because uh, they both use the same receptors. They both combine in the back of your mouth and it one influences others. So that's why, you know, aroma is really important when you are tasting a wine. Um, you're not only smelling the wine just to, you know, see the different aromas or appreciate uh, the fruits and the flower scents or whatever, but you're also smelling it to detect saltiness. So oh. um, the, if it's been exposed to cork or if there's some type of corkiness fault to it, you're going to smell like a moldy scent. Oh. Um, yeah, you'll get like these mold aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, oxidation, if, if, you know, the restaurant has opened that bottle and they've left it there and it's been over a week or something like that, oxidation can leave like a muted scent. So when you go to smell your wine, you don't smell much. It doesn't smell complex or whatever. And, you know, that can be the result of it maybe being on the cheaper end of the spectrum. But a lot of times maybe, you know, maybe it's faced some oxidation. Um so ethyl acetate is another one. If you smell your wine and it smells like nail polish remover, you know, something's wrong. Ooh. So so Ew. aroma can help you detect if your bottle is faulty, too. Um, so then uh, after you're, you've done that, then you want to take a sip. You want to hold it on your tongue, swish it around your mouth a little bit. Uh, I think what you mostly want to look for, because if you're not, like, you know, an expert or you don't really drink wine that much, Um, Not all of the flavors and stuff will hit you all at once. But what I would say to the average person is to just look for a balance. Look for a finish. So you want to look to make sure, like, the alcohol taste isn't overpowering the fruitiness. Um, You want to look for the finish. Like, how long does it stay in your mouth? How long does it stay in your mouth after you've swallowed it? Um, Those indicate, you know, like a a finer wine. And then, obviously, you want to make sure it's something you enjoy, you know? Um, A lot of they think that oh I can only get a taste if I open a bot if I order a bottle that's not true if you're even getting a glass you can ask that restaurant any respectable restaurant will let you have a taste of the wine that you're ordering and just so you can make sure that it's something that you you will really enjoy with your meal and um and the last thing I would say is honestly when you're ordering at a restaurant you do want to utilize the staff there so I always ask the staff wherever I go you know what pairs well with what I'm ordering tonight because mm-hmm. that'll also Wow. Well, well, you know, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is is really find ways to pair wines and, and beers with with ethnic comfort foods. I, I know we're not going to go to Sylvia's in, in Harlem or or, you know, and say, oh, what, what, what pairs with this fried chicken? Um, so when we're dealing with, you know, ethnic comfort food, whether it's Indian, Caribbean, that, there's not going to be a Somalia like you there. Or there's not going to be a, a waiter or waitress that's going to tell us about wines. They're going to say sweet tea or lemonade. If, <laughs> if, if we were to bring this food home, like, 
how would we figure it out on how to uh, care? Like, you know, let's start with, with Southern food, you know, the typical fried chicken, collard greens, which is salty because some, some is done with smoked meat. And then mm-hmm. mac and cheese, which and now that you're telling me that now I feel like I'm getting more educated, there's a saltiness in the cheese. like mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, Peggy's very great. She's amazing with mac and cheese. And she'll use all kinds of... She doesn't make mac and cheese. She, ma- she makes mac and fromage. She's doing different <laughs> kinds of cheeses. And, you know, I'm, I'm very basic. But Peggy will not... She'll have, you know, smoked Gouda. You know, three different uh-huh. kinds of cheeses and... And, but it'll, she'll be serving it with the fried chicken and the, the collard greens. So how do we figure out what will work well? That would complement that in its entirety. I know that's a right. big question. But, but, <laughs> well, but that is how we eat. That's, it's, you actually, know. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So, you know, Southern cuisine, um, you know, when I think Southern, I'm thinking, you know, mac and cheese. Obviously, mac and cheese is honestly one of my favorite foods. Um, and so I'm thinking mac and cheese, you know, thinking greens and, you know, maybe baked or fried chicken. Uh, so what's funny about that is there's so many different flavors. Uh, you know, when I hear mac and cheese, I automatically thought Chardonnay. Uh, mm. Chardonnay would go well with creamy, cheesy pastas and stuff. Ooh, but I'm going to write, write that, that down. down. Write that down. <laughs> yeah, so Chardonnay, Chardonnay would be go well with that. Uh, but it's funny because, you know, the Chardonnay will go well with the mac and cheese, but the Chardonnay wouldn't really taste well with the green. Oh. Because the, uh, the taste, it, it wouldn't pair well with the bitterness in the green. Right. Um, so you have to find something that is good across the border. Uh, and so if I think about that, then I'm honestly thinking, you know, I mentioned Riesling a couple times during this interview. Yeah. Riesling is really a, a great uh, a great choice of wine when it comes to food because it's so... Um, it goes well with so many things, um, but you know the riesling would actually complement the lightness of the baked chicken. Um, it would go with the creaminess of the mac and cheese, and the sweetness would offset the bitterness of the greens. Okay. Um, so oh. you want to kind of find something that goes well with that. Yeah. Um, and you know, peanut oils obviously are also something that that go well with a lot of different things. So you know, those are two like go tos. But um, honestly, like you know, the different southern foods different things work with it. It all depends on like the sauces and stuff like that. Um, you know, and you mentioned fried chicken. So right. it's really funny uh, because fried chicken, there, there are five tastes, main tastes that the body recognizes. And that's saltiness, sweetness, sourness, bitterness. And there's a fifth one that was recently proved, um, which is umami. Umami, yes. And um, that's a Japanese term for delicious. Uh, and that's... Um, and you could sense it as like savory, savory food items. So um, the active ingredient in umami is glutamic acid, which is commonly known as MSG. Mm-hmm. Um, MSG is found in a lot of savory foods. And foods high with umami uh, tend to be higher in salt, too. Um, so when you have these high umami foods, you want to find a wine that's pretty low in tannin, uh, but higher in acidity to complement the savory foods, almost like, a, like soy sauce. Um, and, and MSG is typically found in fried chicken, but it also has those, those components. So, um, so when it comes to that, like fried chicken actually pairs really well with champagne. Oh, um, really? Aside <laughs> from Riesling or a light body Pinot Noir, like I said earlier, but champagne is also something that works well with fried chicken too. Wow. Oh. Wow. And now 
you know, you're the expert, but how do you not become overwhelmed when you walk into a wine store? You know, what, you know, it's almost like when I go in there, I'm like, well, what brand do I gravitate toward? And then, of course, I go by sight and say, well, who has a pretty label? But how do I know what brand to try? Because you get overwhelmed. It's like, where do I go? And who do I try? Right, right. Um, so, I mean, I like to take random trips to the wine store. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do, you know, I could do a ton of research. I, sh- I could Google and, and look at wine enthusiasts and look at the points that's associated with this wine, but mm-hmm. everyone's different and yeah. your preference is mm-hmm. different. And so what I like to do during the weekend is I will go and I will go to the wine store and depending on what wine shop you go to, most of them typically have one person in there that uh, that orders the wine or has some type of wine knowledge or something like that. Um, but if they don't, just picking out one and trying it. Like, that's the best mm. way you can just randomly going and maybe picking up two bottles and just trying it. I would say, you know, go with something that sounds amazing to you and sounds like something that you would enjoy, mm-hmm. that you normally enjoy. And then also go with something that's completely different than what you would ever think to try. Uh, I think that's the 